Hey, good morning, RCC. So good to have all of you joining us on our other campuses. It's always fun to come down to Florida because it's so hot and humid down here. So thanks for uh, inviting me. Um, it's actually not much different in Atlanta. So hey, if we've never met before, my name is Gavin. Uh, I'm, I'm a pastor from Atlanta, but I'm good friends with Paul and RCC. And I'm a huge fan of you guys. I do love coming down and visiting. So thanks for having me again and looking like you. Appreciate that I'm here. I appreciate your smiling faces. Actually, good to see your faces. I haven't seen eyeballs. I mean, I haven't seen smiles in a long time. So uh, way to go, science. Uh, Thanks for being vaccinated or whatever you're doing. Another sermon. Okay, so uh, I don't know if you grew up uh, privileged or not. I didn't think I did. And then I got older and realized that I kind of did because one of the things I got to do every single summer as a kid was go to summer camp. Not like a one night thing, like a 12 night thing. It was a two week long summer camp I went to every summer beginning at the age of 10. And I will never forget my very first summer going. I was so excited. Like, I had spent the night away before. Like, I didn't mind being away from home, you know, because my parents were at home. And so being away from home felt like a real win for me as a kid, right? So I go to summer camp, 10 years old, so excited. It's pouring down rain. Uh, We get there. Uh, They drop me off. I met my counselor. Uh, Before I met him, though, they gave us like a little card with his name and where he was located, and they said his name was Greg. And so we get there, and we meet Greg, and he goes, hey, you can just call me by my nickname. And my parents go, oh, what's your nickname? He says, killer. (laughs) And, And to be honest, I think it was appropriately given. Like, this guy was a beast of a human. Like, he probably did assassinate people at one point. I mean, he was a killer. And uh, he's a big teddy bear once you get to know him. But he was pretty intimidating. And so I just remember, though, being so excited that even though my counselor was probably going to kill me, didn't deter all of the energy and excitement that I had, you know. That first day I got there, we unpacked. See, my mom wanted to make the bed. I'm like, I don't really care about that. We, we got in a van. We went swimming. It was pouring down rain. But they took us to an indoor kind of swim place. We had so much fun, you know. We had a great dinner. The, the camp was sponsored by Chick-fil-A. So there was like a lot of sauce and sandwiches. I mean, it was awesome. It was awesome. And so that night, we get ready to go to bed. First night at camp, you know. And, and, and we were all brand new campers. First night at camp. And I remember laying in bed, being so excited for tomorrow morning. All the things we were going to get to do. Meanwhile, I start hearing like some sniffling from the bunk beside me, you know. And, and then a few minutes later, I hear some more sniffling from across the, the, the cabin. And Killer turns the lights on, and I realize that there's some people who are kind of sad. And I'm like, wow, man, loser. Like, what are you sad about? Like, we're at camp with Killer. Like, what is there to be afraid of, you know? And then I realized later in the evening, right, that what they were experiencing was actually kind of normal. I, I, I mentioned that first summer at camp, you know, we had some kids that were homesick. But I went to camp for six years. And then I got to work on staff as a counselor for four years at the same camp. And inevitably, every single first night of camp, there was at least one kid, sometimes more, who would start feeling a little bit of homesick during the night. Now, I remember thinking all the time, you know, and I'm I'm super, like, empathetic. I'm real compassionate. You know, I remember thinking, like, you want to go home? Like, aren't your parents there? Do they have six pools at your house? Do they have unlimited Chick-fil-A at your house? Like, we have ice cream like here, all the time, you know, like, do they have that at home, you know? But there is a reality to it, right? And maybe you've experienced that. Like, maybe you were at camp, or maybe you were at a friend's house, or maybe there was just something going on in your life, and you were away from home, and you felt yourself just wanting to go back home. It's a very normal emotion when, when we're experiencing something that is a little uncomfortable, something that's a little different, something that we might not be expecting, or, or something that we're not prepared for. 
I remember even thinking when I was a counselor at camp, you know, really what I wish I could do is just give these kids some of those shoes that Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz had. Like, I don't know how good the 10-year-olds would be walking around in, like, glittering, you know, high heels, you know, ruby red slippers. Like, they probably couldn't walk well them, but they could just click the heels three times. They could probably go back home. Do you remember that movie, Wizard of Oz? I mean, this dates me. I'm almost 47, right? Some of you are like, Wizard of what? But it's like, you know, think Harry Potter, but weirder, okay? Like, <laughs> there's this girl, Dorothy. She's at home. By the way, she runs away from home. That's where the trouble starts, right? She doesn't even want to be home, right? Subplot to this. Now, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it for you, but it's been out like 80 years, so I don't feel bad at all. <laughs> You've had plenty of time to see this movie. So Dorothy runs away from home. And, 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 and then she comes back home. In the middle of it, a tornado happens, you know? And so she's swept up in this tornado. Now, really, it's just a dream, okay? Oops, spoiler, but she thinks she is swept up, and then she lands her house. In her house is swept up, and it lands in this weird land of Oz. And the whole movie is basically her trying to figure out how to go back home. I mean, she kills a witch. There's these really scary, like, munchkins. Uh, there's flying uh, uh, monkeys, and all sorts of crazy stuff happens, right? But... The whole movie is her trying to go back home. And meanwhile, she has the ability the whole time because she's wearing these slippers. And you remember in the end of the movie, she figures it out. All she has to do is click the heels together and say that magic phrase, right? There's no place like home. That's it. There is no place like home. Now, forget the fact that she ran away from home and didn't like home. But for her, home was better than Oz. Oz was really weird. And that's kind of how camp was for some kids. That's the way it is for some of us in life, isn't it? We find ourselves in a place that we are just not comfortable. It's not what we hoped for. It's not what we expected. Maybe it's a career situation, a relational situation, a, a health situation. I don't know. But there's a place we find ourselves where we feel if we could just have the ruby red slippers and click the heels, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. We could go back and get away from this. Now, I don't know what you would say. Maybe you wouldn't say there's no place like home. Maybe you would fill in the blank with something else. You know, there's no place like maybe 2019 <laughs> before the pandemic. Like, there's no place like before masks. There's no place like before masks, you know. Or, or, or maybe there was like no place like that original relationship. No place like when I used to be healthy. No place like, and you can probably fill in the blank, right? The, the problem though, right, with this thinking is that it kind of forces us to want to go back. And we can't really go back. That's one of life's greatest challenges, right? We can only go forward. It would be nice if we could go back, but the reality is we can't. And then we find ourselves in these uncomfortable situations. We find ourselves in these circumstances that we didn't ask for, we didn't expect, we definitely don't want. And we can't just click our heels and make it go away. Like, we can't just go back. So what, what do we do with that? What do we do when we find ourselves in those situations? You know, it's really interesting when you read what the Apostle Paul wrote. He wrote like two-thirds of our New Testament. Um, and most of them are all letters that he wrote to churches. He planted all these churches. Now, keep in mind, this is the very beginning of Christianity. So all these people have really no idea how to do Christianity right, like we don't either at times, right? They're really struggling. So Paul's writing these letters to these people, helping them figure it out. And it's hard to imagine 2,000 years ago, I mean, none of us were there, right? But it was difficult there were lots of difficult moments. There were lots of, can we just go home? There's no place like home. There's no place like. In fact, if you were to bump into Paul 2,000 years ago, the letter we're going to look at, the letter to the, the Christians in Rome, he wrote it in prison. You can imagine being in prison thinking there's no place like before prison. 
Like if you bumped into Paul, he would say, man, 8950, I mean, 8059 is the worst, man. It's the worst. It's terrible. And not only is he in prison, he knows what's coming up for him, probably an execution. He's probably gonna be executed for his faith, for spreading the message of Jesus. And he's gonna refuse to recant and he's gonna allow himself to die for it. I mean, it's an incredible story, Paul's story. But what he writes to people in the midst of knowing all that is even more incredible. So we're gonna look at like this little passage that he wrote to these Christians in Rome. And I hope it gives us all a little bit of a different perspective on maybe how to deal with things that are happening in our life that we don't really love, the things that we wish weren't happening. Those moments in life where we just wanna click our heels together and go back to a time where it was easier, simpler, better. Paul actually gives us a better solution, a different kind of perspective. But, but not only does he tell us kind of where to go, he actually tells us when we get to do it. So this is in the book of Romans. We're gonna look at chapter eight. We put all the chapters and verses on it later to make it easier to read, right? So Romans chapter eight, here's kind of how he starts the conversation. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, this is the NIV translation. There's another version of the Bible. It's called the Message. It's kind of written with really modern language. It's not a perfect translation, but it really gives you some different kind of words around it. And I love the way the, 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 the Message version talks about this passage. Let me just read you a little bit from it, okay? Here's what the Message says. I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times, which is interesting if you think about Paul writing this. Because his present hard times are really, really difficult. They are not great. And what's coming for him is death. <laughs> what's coming for him is execution. Nothing great is coming for him. Yet he says in some way he feels like what's coming is good for him. He's excited about it. He, he continues, and this is so cool. He says, the created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures, meaning us too, are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. Now, there is a lot to unpack in this, but, but let's just focus for a minute on this word created because Paul used it on purpose. But Paul is Jewish. Paul, before he became a Jesus follower, was what we call a Pharisee. He was a religious leader in Judaism, in Israel, which means that he had not just studied the Old Testament. That's what we call it. It was the Jewish scriptures, right, for them. He had memorized it. He knew this creation idea was a really big deal. And in a way, you might expect Paul to, like, click his heels together and say, there's no place like in the beginning. Because in the beginning, things were really really good. That's what he's referencing when he talks about creation. Even if you're not a, a Christian church person, Bible person, you've probably heard the very first phrase in the Bible. Genesis 1, it, it goes like this, right? In the beginning, God created. There's Paul's word he's using. God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. And it was unbelievable. It was perfect. H have you ever been to a place that just felt perfect. Like it just, you, you couldn't imagine it being better. 
Like maybe it was a vacation or a trip you went on. I remember when, when I got married when I was 21, my wife and I went on vacation uh, or honeymoon, I guess. We went to Jamaica, like a resort in Jamaica. Now we had never been out of the country before. I'd never really been out of the country before, much less to like an all-inclusive resort that was like heaven on earth in Jamaica. I mean, you walk in, it was just spectacular. Now everything around it, not so much, but in the gates of the place, just incredible. Like everything was perfect. It was beautiful, and you could have as much pizza as you wanted. I mean, it was heaven. It was incredible. Now, take that picture and make it look like trash. That's what God has created. I mean, it is so perfect. It's incredible. And over the course of some time, God creates all of it, right? God, God saw that all he had made, and it was very good. There was evening, and then there was morning the sixth day. It was a, it was a really good week. It was a really good week. And then it kind of went downhill. I mean, it was a great week, but then about seven days in, things get a little bit dicey. And the reason is because we got involved. Like God's making all this stuff and it's so perfect. Then he makes people and he gives people one job. You just have one job. Don't eat fruit from this one tree. That's it. You can do anything else you want. Imagine. You can have anything you want, but just don't do this one thing. I'm just asking you. And the reason God gave him a rule is because he needed to build a relationship on trust and rules allow us to follow and we needed to follow, and, but we couldn't do it. There was just one job and, and we couldn't follow it. I mean, we are three chapters into the Bible and it's all falling apart. Here's how the author writes it. When the woman saw that the fruit, that one tree you're not supposed to eat from, the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then, and then the eyes of both of them were opened. And, and not in a good way, right? Like their eyes were opened to the reality of brokenness. Their, their eyes were opened to the reality of problems. Bring this into our world today. Their eyes were open to things not going the way we want it to. They, their eyes were open to experiences that you don't wanna have, to problems that you don't want to deal with, to circumstances that no one wants to experience. Their eyes were opened because they broke it. I mean, we, we broke it, right? Like we, we broke it and it has been breaking us ever since. Like we broke what was supposed to be perfect and it has been breaking us ever since. This, is, this explains a lot. It, it explains it explains why the brokenness we experience happens. It, it explains why relationships falls apart. And the reason is because everything is broken, including you, including me. I mean, your spouse is broken. I mean, you knew that, but they are. Your spouse is broken. You're, you're broken, though. Your friends are broken. Your kids are broken. Everything is broken, which means everything that we create is broken. Governments are broken. Churches are broken. Companies are broken. This is why best friends turn on each other. This is why spouses say I do and then end up not wanting to. This is why companies promise promotions and come through with layoffs. It's just brokenness. It's why leaders lie. It's why parents divorce. It's brokenness. It's why kids rebel. It's why coworkers stab each other in the back. It's why children are born with birth defects. It's why cancer. It's why we have tornadoes and hurricanes. It's why there's death. It's just brokenness. It's just brokenness. That's what Paul has in mind 
when he's writing the letter. That's what Paul has in mind when he uses the word creation in this letter. He uses it on purpose because he wants everybody to think back to the very beginning when things were great. But instead of then encouraging them to click their heels and go back there, he's gonna give them some better advice that feels like them. So let's go back to the letter for a minute. So in Romans, he says, we know that the whole creation, he keeps using that word, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Now, just quick pause. This won't be shocking to you. I've never given birth before, but I do have four kids. I have four kids. I got to be there for all four of those, and I watched this process, and the groaning and the pains of childbirth is legit. Like, I have to imagine that if, like, men were in charge of that, we'd all be extinct at this point, right? <laughs> but I watched it four times, and, and just, I mean, not to be gross or anything, but, like, it's unbelievably painful. But on the other side of the pain is unbelievable beauty, you know? On the other side of the difficulty is a miracle. That's kind of what Paul's referring to. That, that there's this pain that we're experiencing because of the brokenness. There's this difficulty we're experiencing because that we broke it and we're living in the brokenness. But on the other side of that is something worth suffering for, worth working through. There's a beauty on the other side. Okay, with that in mind, he continues. He says, not, not only so, but we ourselves, it isn't just creation, we ourselves who, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of us, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Then he says, for it is in this hope that we are saved. You've heard that word saved before? Saved just means that, that at some point you decided to put your faith in Jesus and not in yourself. And when you put your faith in Jesus for your life, for your eternity, you, you become saved is the word that the Bible uses, that Paul uses. You become saved. It means you become rescued from yourself. You become rescued for eternity, and you are adopted into the family of God. That's what he's referencing. So for people who have experienced that, if you put your faith in Jesus, he's, he's talking to you. He's talking to the people in Rome who have done that. He says, for it is in this hope that we are saved, that we were saved. But hope, this is so interesting, that is not seen, I mean, sorry, hope that is seen is no hope at all. I mean, who hopes for what they already have? To which we would have to answer, uh, me? Like, aren't we always doing that? Like, we always hope that what we have will give us what we don't have. Meanwhile, what we have has never given us what we really want. But we keep hoping. Like, we put our hope in relationships, in marriages, in children, in jobs, in cars, in boats, and houses, and another car, another boat, another house. Like, we keep putting our hope in these things and hopes it will give us what we really want, and yet it always falls short. Because those things are ill-equipped to give us what we want. They, they can't give us what we want. Because what we want is something deeper than those things. But we don't know how to get it, so we try really hard. Paul continues, this is so great. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And you know what we don't yet have? Lasting peace ongoing joy, never-ending goodness and kindness and self-control. It's all the fruit of the Spirit. It's what we don't have yet. And that's actually what we want, isn't it? Isn't that what we're trying to get from others? Isn't that what we're trying to get through material things? Isn't that what we're trying to get from better careers and jobs and promotions? But they never provide it because they can't. 
So what do we do? Like, where do we find those things? I mean, we have momentary glimpses of them, but they just seem to always give way to decay, don't they? Because they can't. See, here's the issue. We really are actually homesick. We're really just homesick. We're like kids at camp. And we're experiencing a world that's broken. And we want something better than that. And we aren't sure how to get it, but we don't want to live in it. So we work hard to find it. And we're just really homesick. But, but we're not homesick for the past. And we're not even really homesick for something we can fully explain or, or fully understand. I mean, you know, we're tempted to do this, right? Like we're, we're, we're tempted to be homesick for when things were better you know, like, like things aren't good now. We're tempted to be homesick for when things used to be better, when things were better, when the job was better, when the health was better, when the relationship was better. But we can't go back. We can only go forward, which means that we are still homesick. But, but we're actually just homesick for heaven. We're really just homesick for heaven. We're, we're homesick for perfection. We're, we're homesick for what God intended us to experience the whole time before we broke it. We're, we're homesick for a place where God will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order, the broken order of things has passed away. That's what we're homesick for. We're just homesick for heaven. But we're not there yet. We're kind of stuck in between, aren't we? Like in the meantime, what do we do with that? Like, 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 where do we click our heels together and what do we wish for? There's no place like heaven, that's true, but we're not there yet. So where do we place our faith? Like, like where do we put our hope? That might be the key word. Because you know what? There is no place like hope. There is no place like hope. Hope that one day God will set everything the way that he said he would. Hope that one day the brokenness of our world will pass and move on into perfection. Hope that one day God will restore and redeem. Hope that one day all of the brokenness will be healed. Hope that one day God will make good on every single promise that he's made. Hope. There's no place like hope. You know, I think back to being a counselor at camp. It's so interesting. Yeah, I, every, every session, I had at least one kid that felt homesick that first night. And so the next day, we would let them call home if they really were feeling bad still. And there were always a few different kinds of parents on the end of that call, you know. There, there, there was the one parent, there was the one parent who would get the call and go, oh, sweetheart, I'll come get you right now, my poor baby. You know, that, that wasn't the good parent, you know. There was another parent who was just as bad who would say, oh, suck it up, buttercup, you know, you're at camp, and I'm on vacation for 12 days, so you're going to have to stay, you know. Do you know what the best parent was? Every time. The best parent always said this. Hey, I get it. I get it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to give it two days, and if you don't love it in two days, I'll come get you. Now, let me just ask you, what do you think happened for almost every one of the kids over the next two days? They started having a great time. But you know why? Because their mom and their dad gave them hope. It was hope. You don't love what you're experiencing right now, but there is hope. There's a promise. And I'm going to come through on it. That's what God is doing for you.
It's what God is offering you, hope. It's the most powerful emotion we ever experience. Hope, it's the most important thing we'll ever have. If you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, I hope that you walk around all day with a sense of hope. I I hope you walk around with a sense that God is going to fulfill his promise. Not to make everything perfect right now, but one day to make everything perfect. Hope that one day God is going to come through. He's gonna fix the brokenness. He's gonna redeem the world around you. Hope that things are going to get better. That's a promise that God has actually made that we can trust in, hope. But if you're, if you're not a Christian, I, I, I just wonder what you're putting your hope in. See, we don't think about it this way that much, right? But just for a second, if you're not a Christian, you are putting your faith, your hope in something. We all do. We are all putting our faith in something. We're putting our faith in the things we buy, the relationships we have, the people around us, the jobs. I mean, we're putting faith in something. And we're hoping to get peace from something. Like, we're hoping to get uh, 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 joy from something, happiness from something. We're all on a quest for that. And you don't walk around kind of actively thinking, what am I putting my faith in today? But, but you're putting it in something. What is that thing? And if I could just pry for a second, how's it going? Like Dr. Phil, how's that working out for you? I think I know. Because I'll tell you, I'll tell you, even as a Christian, I became a Christian at the age of seven. Even as a Christian, I have a tendency, because I'm broken, just like we all are, I have a tendency to forget where the real hope is and try to find hope in other things too. I've tried to find what I need the most from a marriage. But I found my spouse is ill-equipped to provide what I ultimately need, as I am as well for her. I've tried to put my hope in career, and I've found that it always falls short. I've tried to find you know, hope in achievement, that doesn't ever really fully fulfill because somebody else is always achieving something else. So, so where are you putting your faith? Where are you putting your, to use our word, our hope? Jesus actually wants to offer you that. He, he wants to give you an alternative to all the things in the world. He doesn't want to give you just something that's a slight improvement. He wants to completely replace it, to renew you, to restore you so that you can live in a broken world and not be broken by it. There's this beautiful moment where Jesus is talking about this. And this guy named John was with him and he, he listened intently and he took some notes and he wrote it down, what Jesus said. If you're not a person who's necessarily following Jesus, you're not really sure about him, you're not even sure if he's for you or not, I just want you to think about what he said about the world that we live in. Here's what Jesus said. He said, in my father's house, talking about God, in my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you, each of you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And then he says, you know the way to the place where I am going. He was surrounded by these disciples. All these followers were around him when he said this. And one of them, a guy named Thomas, one of them kind of looks back at Jesus. Have you ever heard the word doubting Thomas? Ah, he's just a doubting Thomas. Have you heard that? It comes from this guy. He's the original doubting Thomas. Thomas looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, 
we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? He's thinking like concrete. He's thinking like on this earth. Jesus, whenever you are with us, things are better for us. And so we always want to be with you. So if you go somewhere, we want to go with you. But how are we going to know where to go if you don't tell us? How are we going to know how to be with you if we don't know where you are going? And Jesus looked at Thomas and he answers the question for all of us. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. You know what that means? It means there is one way to ultimate peace. There is one way to hope, and it's through a person, Jesus. It's the only way. It's the only place we can place our faith, the only person that actually comes through. It's the only way to move forward through Jesus. So just for a second, where are you at with that? And even if you're a Christian, like you may be saved according you know, to what Paul has said, but, but like how is it feeling day to day? How is it feeling when the brokenness of the world starts to feel like it's breaking you? Where are you putting your hope? Where are you putting your faith? Jesus said, and I think he's right, that there is a way to find hope. It's just through him because he is the only way, the only truth, the only where life can actually be found. I mean, it's true, there, there is no place like hope, but the reason is because there's no person like Jesus. That's why. So I don't know how things are for you. I suspect it could be better. The good news is that it is going to be better. Maybe not as fast as you want, but one day, one day God has promised to make all things good again. You know, the reason Paul used the word creation is because that's what God's going to do again. He's going to recreate perfection. He is going to reestablish what was supposed to be from the beginning. And as a person who's put our faith in Jesus, guess what? We get to experience that. We get to live in that forever, for eternity. I can't think of anything more hopeful than that. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for offering us hope. And God, I, I guess that you could just solve all the stuff right now. Like you could come into each of our lives and resolve all the tensions and the conflicts and the brokenness and you could just take care of all of it right now. But the reality is that we would just keep breaking it again and it would just be this ridiculous cycle. And so Father, I think that in your incredible wisdom, you've looked at that and you just thought, you know what, I'm not gonna just solve it moment to moment to moment. I'm gonna resolve it forever, for eternity. And I'm gonna do it through faith and through hope and through a promise. So God, thank you that in the midst of brokenness, we can cling to the promise, the promise that you will make things right. And that even when things are broken, that hope that we have allows us to live through it in a completely different way. So God, I just pray that you give us the wisdom to kind of know how that looks in our lives and our hearts today and tomorrow and next month and next year. And give us, give us the courage to trust in you, to literally find our hope in you. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. We love you, Jesus. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.
Hey, thanks again for having me. Hope you have a wonderful Sunday, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks.